Well, good morning again. <laughs> Time is irrelevant, right? <laughs> you can say it again and again. Well, uh, it's so nice to see you all here on a day when I'm sure it's tempting to be outside. Uh, but good for you if you got to work outside because we've had a series of wonderful, beautiful days. Ah, so we have to enjoy them while we can. Well, I want to talk to you today about uh, a koan. It's called, it's num case number 38 in the Book of Serenity, which is a book translated by Thomas Cleary, which I have to say, I never really noticed that, you know, that that, really matters who did the translation. And then, in fact, I've learned that there are numerous translations of these, this, these collections of koans. So I've learned a little something, which is good. But anyway, the, the case is called Lingy's True Person. And I'll read it to you now. <laughs> Lingy said to the assembly, there's a true person with no rank, always going in and out through the portals of your face. Beginners who have not yet witnessed it, look, look. Then a monk came forward and said, what is the true person of no rank? Linji got down from his seat, grabbed and held him. The monk hesitated. Linji pushed him away and said, the true person of no rank, what a piece of dry crap he is. <laughs> Are you awake? <laughs> yeah, I was a little shocked by that too. <laughs> a little jolted by that. And I was tempted, you know, to sort of clean it up a bit. But then I, I realized with the help of my friends that uh, it's not so good to just change a uh, translation that's been, uh, you know, carefully translated by someone like Thomas Cleary. And, um, and it's from very old uh, teachings. In fact, let's see, um, compiled in China in the 12th century. That's when Linji lived in the 12th century. So, uh, so anyway, I, I, I think I, I can't doctor it up, but I'm going to um, share with you some uh, commentaries that I think shed some light on it, and we might understand it a little bit more as we work through this talk. So I honestly have been not so keen on koans, over the years. And I find them frustrating and confusing. And I just am the type of person that likes a direct communication. Like if you have something to tell me, just tell me. So that kind of direct communication doesn't seem very apparent in koans. Um, I did find interestingly, um, uh, uh, in this book 
by Thich Nhat Hanh. Is there anybody here who doesn't know Thich Nhat Hanh is? Because I assume you do, yeah. Okay, so he says, many, he says in the Zen tradition, the spirit of Master Linji is in everything we're taught, we're taught, and everything we do. So that's a very favorable endorsement, I think. And he says, truthfully, Master Linji taught in order to shake things up. He wanted to smash obstacles and heal sickness and undo fetters. So reading his words, Thich Nhat Hanh says, is like taking strong medicine. He says, that's when we need a good dose of the teachings of Master Linji, when we are busy accumulating knowledge and words. And he says, we need a good dose of Master Linji, uh, his teachings, he says, they're not vitamins, they're laxatives. <laughs> so, as I worked on this koan, I talked to my Renzai guy, extraordinaire and good friend Eric, who's here. Where are you, Eric? I'm over here. Okay, hi. And Eric has been studying and practicing with koans for uh, a long, long time. And he is going to be teaching a class coming up soon. So you all probably want to sign right up for that <laughs> because he'll teach you all about it. Anyway, he reminded me that confusion and not knowing is good. And not understanding is valuable. And you can sit with a koan for your whole life. And that's what uh, our friend and priest from Austin Zen Center said at, in a Dharma talk um, a couple of years ago that inspired me to be interested in this particular koan. Sorry, I need some water. And anyway, she said, uh, she uh, talked about being a true person of no rank. And I thought, well, that sounds really good. That's what I want too. Because I was at a crossroads in my own life. And I had just retired from my job at the awesome Audi International School, where I worked for 25 years. And I, uh, I, thought that that's what I wanted. And then, in fact, I felt ambivalence, ambivalent about it. Um, I did want to be that person. That's what I wanted, or so I thought. So um, I started there in 1997 as a therapist for a small school. And I was just working one day a week. And gradually over the years, I added time and responsibility, and the school grew, and uh, it's, it's a complicated community because 
40% of the school is French, French faculty, French kids, French curriculum, and 60% is mixed international. So uh, there are uh, lots of complicated concerns at this wonderful school. Lots for counselors to do. Taking on the social emotional needs of the growing population of now, uh, well, upwards of 1,400 kids. So it started much smaller than that. And now it's quite a bit bigger. Uh, anyway, as I added on time, I took on the responsibility of and the rank of being appointed and uh, anointed the um, director of counseling for the school and amassing a massive team of three counselors <laughs> for the 1,400 kids. But we had uh, many adventures. We had a lot of fun creating activities and interacting with all those fascinating people, um, including families of all those kids and faculty and all the kids. So anyway, it was great fun. And we worked together as a team, a dynamite team. So anyway, um, after 25 years there and after the school had obviously grown a lot, I had grown a little bit older and I was ready to give up my rank uh, yikes. It was wonderful to think of and terrifying to realize that I had given up my hard-earned hard rank, my hard-earned and my hard-earned rank. So I don't know what I was thinking, but anyway, there it was, <laughs> semi-retired. And so I stayed away from the school for about a year just to give space for them to adapt to my absence and I, uh, then the pandemic came and nobody was allowed in the school, nobody extraneous that is. So I had become extraneous. But anyway, the pandemic, okay. So uh, I had given up my lovely office, lovely windows, lovely uh, parking space, <laughs> lovely position, everything. And I finally went recently for a visit with the gentleman that uh, actually took my place. And uh, I thought terrible ranking things about him. Like, is this the best they could do? <laughs> I really did. <laughs> of course, I was polite. <laughs> I was polite, but I sort of wanted to tell him a few things about what we had done and make a few suggestions. <laughs> so anyway, my great friend Penny Cleveland is there now, very skilled, wonderful therapist slash counselor. And she has now been appointed the new director of counseling for the school. So happy about that. Anyway, she will carry on the great work that we did together and the programs, the great programs that we put in place. So I guess I can let go and trust that all those kids and families and faculty and staff 
will be okay without me. <laughs> Tricia, who's not here today, remains there as a wonderful, she is here. Tricia, hi. <laughs> Tricia. Okay, I was going to sing your praises and say that you were, you still remain there as a wonderful, warm, compassionate English professor, keeping an eye out over everything, making sure it all goes well. And most especially my uh, wonderful grandkids who are there as ninth graders. So thank you, Tricia. I'm glad to see you, all of you up, up there on Zoom land. Linda Parker, my old wonderful friend, Linda. Great to see you. And Glenn, I was going to mention your name in here, Glenn. <laughs> Okay, so I also wanted to experience being a person of no rank here at the Zen Center. But actually, I've been here since the beginning of time, <laughs> not really, since the beginning of the Houston Zen community, when we started as a little bitty minuscule group. And look at what we've grown into. All these trappings, do you know? But all these wonderful, wonderful, wonderful moments and relationships. So happy you're all here. So anyway, though, when you're around a long time, you acquire rank. And uh, and so I became the president back when we had an annual budget of $350. <laughs> I think Gary Grubitz was our treasurer then, back in the day. I think he started with us when we had a very small treasury. <laughs> anyway, uh, so there we were sitting together. Bob Shibley, the minister of the Unitarian Church, had, um, had been to a, a retreat with Thich Nhat Hanh in Plum Village. And... I had been to a Vipassana retreat in Tyler, Texas, and uh, Glenn Duval, my friend over there on Zoom land, uh, had been reading books about Zen and pretty much sitting on his own. So anyway, we wanted to sit together. We just wanted to, you know, have that support. And so we did. We started sitting at the Unitarian Church. I've been a member there for about 20 years. And anyway, it was great to have a little tiny sangha starting at around three of us, I think. And then we grew to maybe 10, maybe 20 people, maybe 30 mass, I believe is the case. Anyway, um, there we were all together. We knew a little bit. We set down our blade of grass, as the story goes, and we set up an altar on a card table. Well, we took turns reading and discussing books like Old Path, White Clouds is one I remember. And Bob was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful minister. So he occasionally would give us a talk. We read the precepts in a circle. This is a sweet memory. 
We read the precepts in a circle, each person taking one precept to read it out loud. And then we had a tea ceremony. Um, if I wasn't holding this, I'd give you quotation marks because <laughs> it really was a, just an a informal adaptation, calling it a tea ceremony. We did have tea, but we uh, took turns in a circle uh, offering a song or a poem or something like that. And I think we also had uh, cookies and tea, which we ate and drank mindfully. So Bob being the brilliant, wise, authentic minister and person, true person that he was, made a profound connection with Thai, who is Thich Nhat Hanh, we call Thai in Vietnamese, it means teacher. And, uh, and so Bob convinced us of this phenomenal opportunity to bring Thai to Houston, Texas for a retreat. And so we did. We had a planning group that met every week for a year in order to plan this activity. We rented a uh, small uh, retreat center, or really it was just a camp, like a kid's camp in, I think, Cleveland, Texas, or somewhere around there. Yeah, it was, it was okay, you know. They really understood um, vegetarian food as canned corn and jello. <laughs> so we had to adapt our menu a little bit to, uh, to care for our great teacher and his, his, uh, his entourage. Anyway, um, so, so anyway, we brought him here. He did come, and in order to create uh, publicity materials for him, we had to create a name. So we gave ourselves the name of uh, Houston Zen Community. And we still have that name, I found out very recently from our dear teacher, Galen. Um, anyway, uh, so this is, I, I didn't really, I confess that I did not know who Thich Nhat Hanh was when we brought him here. I didn't know he was so special, that he was perhaps the most important Zen teacher in the world, and that he's been called a living Buddha, and he also uh, one that was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by uh, Martin Luther King Jr. He's published, he did publish, he's no longer with us, but he published over a hundred books and he is known for his activism against war. And especially he started in, with the Vietnam War when he was exiled from the country because he refused to take sides. And, um, and he died a few months ago, really, at the age of 95. And in the end, he was allowed to return to his beloved Vietnam. 
So that was a happy story. Anyway, his teaching, even today, teaches us um, to uh, nurture the seeds of compassion and love in our um, storehouse consciousness or our unconscious mind. Nurture those seeds in order to soften the seeds of anger and despair, uh, such as we see in the current war that we were all watching on TV. Very hard to watch and very hard to remember to uh, nurture those seeds in our own lives of kindness and compassion and loving care. So anyway, um, the the retreat that we did for Thai uh, after we had a, a big uh, lecture at Rice University, we filled the hall at Rice University, and then we went to the country for this retreat uh, with two hundred, maybe three hundred people, and. Um, there were children in that retreat because that was his requirement. So there were a number of kids that he had gather around him to open the retreat. I remember that very well. Anyway, um, I think that was in 1991. And he... uh, I I talked to my good friend, Linda Parker, who's over there on the screen, about Thai because she continued to practice with that group uh, for all these many years. And and I wanted to ask her about rumors that I've heard that retreats grew to be quite a bit bigger than our retreat of 200 um, to 1,000. At some of his retreats, he would have a thousand people there. I can't imagine how they could do that. So that's why I called and talked to Linda because she filled me in on all the details. And she said that Ty established um, three three large retreat centers in our country. One is in New York. One is in... um, uh, New York, California, and the other one is in Mississippi. Go figure. (laughs) So Linda reminded me, and it's really true, that we we were so lucky to have a small-ish retreat with 200 people. Anyway, I appreciate the sweet memories from his teaching and some of his sweet teachings. Uh, I don't know, sweet is kind of a saccharine word, but anyway, kind, gentle, whatever words you want to attribute to his wonderful teachings. And one of them is a little verse that um, it's a poem. He called them gatas. It's like a little prayer. I sing it to myself when my mind is particularly fretful. Like this morning, I could sing it on the way here. Um, It's especially handy in the middle of the night or when you're uh, stuck in traffic. (laughs) 
Anyway, it goes like this. I'll sing it for you. In, out, deep, slow, calm, ease, smile, release, present, moment, wonderful moment. So, would you like to sing it with me? <laughs> you think we don't sing in Zen? Here's your opportunity to sing. It goes like this. In, out, deep, slow, calm, ease, smile, release, present, moment, wonderful moment. Oh, that sounds beautiful, yes? <laughs> All right, we'll do it again sometime <laughs> when your mind is giving you a hard time or not. When you're enjoying a beautiful day like this, you know, it doesn't have to be a hard time. It could just be a celebration time. Anyway, um, <clears throat> let's see. I was going to tell you. Oh. We also offered uh, at the card table altar incense to this uh, little song, kind of song-ish. It was done by one song, I mean, one person at the altar offering incense, and it goes like this. In gratitude, we offer this incense to all Buddhas and Bodhisattvas throughout space and time. May it be fragrant as earth herself, reflecting our careful effort, our wholehearted awareness, and the fruit of understanding slowly ripening. May we and all beings be companions of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. May we awaken from forgetfulness and realize our true home. <laughs> that last little bit was very essential, that getting that home oh, just right. Anyway, it's interesting how nervous we get with the incense at the altar all by ourselves, singing that little song or that incense offering. So um, I offer Ty's books to everyone because while he is a wonderful, amazing brilliant scholar he also is very accessible so i really love reading him this book is one that i discovered at the end of my path of preparation for this talk and i can really recommend it it's called nothing to go nothing to do nowhere to go waking up to who you are and its reflections on the teachings of none other than Master Linji. So that's a good read. Now, Reverend Shibley and his partner, Stephen, had the first gay wedding in our church. Maybe the first one in our whole city. And I, by the way, rang the bell on the altar 
That was my claim to fame. <laughs> anyway, it was a wonderful event. And he and Stephen uh, moved then to Portland, uh, not to just get away from Houston, but that was sort of their dream home. And then there, they were able to, 25 years later, have a legal wedding and had a happy life there in Portland for many, many years. And sadly, Bob died, I think maybe uh, this year or a year ago. Very recently, he died. And uh, he, he was really a wonderful uh, source of inspiration for, for many, many people, including the Houston Zen community, for sure. Once when he came to visit us here at this palatial home that we have acquired, he, uh, he said as we headed out to lunch, it's awfully Episcopalian, Louise. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a Unitarian through, throughout. He was a Unitarian. Anyway, since that first retreat with Ty, we've had many other retreats with Reb and other teachers, wonderful teachers. I've been in countless planning meetings and loved every minute of every one of them. Recently, I have enjoyed taking a break. And it's like a chant. Do you know when you're chanting along and you run out of breath, you can stop to breathe. And the chant continues, and then you pick it up where the chant is. And it's like a, a chorus, you know? It's, a, it's so sangha, right? We do it together. So um, I do love the peace of mind and noticeable calm when I don't have to do anything but just be. And I'm endlessly grateful for this younger generation's uh, enthusiasm and, and dedication and warmth and generosity. I'm looking around the room at all of you who are contributing so energetically, so wonderful to, to feel the energy. So thank you very much for that. Um, there is a refrain from the Precious Mirror Samadhi, which we often chant. And it's my namesake chant because my Dharma name is Precious Mirror. So that sutra has been calling to me and it says, ministers serve their lords, children obey their parents, not obeying is not filial and not serving is no help. Not serving is no help. So I discovered this Dylan song, and I discovered it years ago when I, uh, when I had served as Reb's Jisha at a retreat. And then later I, I was his Anja at a retreat. And, uh, and the song is, you're going to have to serve somebody. <laughs> I, I listened to a version of it, not this song, but a version of Joan Baez imitating 
Bob Dylan, and she did a wonderful job, and I can't possibly do as good a job as she did. But so you can imagine if you're familiar with Bob Dylan, uh, he says in this song, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And he goes on to say, you may call me Terry. You may call me Timmy. You may call me Bobby. You may call me Zimmy. I'm trying to imitate his grasp. <laughs> you may call me RJ. You may call me Ray. You may call me anything, but no matter what you say, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. So I added my verse to that. You may call me precious. You may call me pearl. You may call me wheezy. You may call me girl. <laughs> you may call me anything, but no matter what you say, you're still going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. Okay. Just keeping y'all awake. <laughs> My entertainment. <laughs> All right. So back to the koan. I... Um, I do want to mention that I have gathered um, some brief uh, but spectacular commentaries. <laughs> Couldn't resist. Um, one is by Edo Shimano and his book, Zen Words, Zen Calligraphy. And he makes it quite clear and simple. These are like the cliff notes. Are you ready? <laughs> He says, everyone, whether we know it or not, is such a person, fundamentally. He said, words sound beautiful and elegant, but they lack dynamism. Lin Ji, who also I found out from this research, is Rinzai. Okay, Rinzai is his Japanese name, Lin Ji, Chinese name. So he says, Rinzai wanted to point out that our rankless, boundless, vast nature is brisk, is alive and acts dynamically. He thus presented us with the essence of Renzai Zen. Okay. Another commentary by a great teacher who happens to be a good friend of Galen Roshi's. And his name is Shugan Arnold Roshi from Mount Tremper Monastery in New York. He says this, titles, relationships, possessions, everything we hold in our hand will disperse. Everything is impermanent. He says, don't grasp, don't deny. Can we trust each other with nothing added and nothing to be done? And Brad Warner, I know some of you are familiar with Brad Warner because he's such a character. He's a Zen priest and also a punk rock musician. And he, he's totally accessible, I think. His teachings are very contemporary. 
And he says, when you have no rank at all, you're free from comparison. You notice that the tendency to accord a rank to yourself, maybe I should slow down. When you have no rank at all, you're free from comparison. You notice that the tendency to accord a rank to yourself and other people is always there and always will be. There's something you always will have to remind yourself. This is something you always will have to remind yourself about. And I checked in with Thich Nhat Hanh, and he says that he calls it a businessless person. Actually, he attributes that name to Lin Ji. I thought that Thich Nhat Hanh had invented it. But anyway, it is the, the, he says, this, is, this businessless person is the true person inside each of us. This is the essential teaching of Master Lenji. That's what he said. Anyway, um, uh, let me say that you may be wondering, as I do, how do you know this person? How do you know this true person? How do you know? What's this meaning of knowing the self if there's no self to know? Isn't it to realize that just beneath all of the labels and that there's a person, uh, uh, the labels torture us, the labels that uh, cause us endless suffering. The way we see others and each other is to begin to answer this question, this profound question. Who are you? I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not. I wish I was this. I wish I was that. I wish I had curlier hair, or straighter hair, or longer hair, or I wish I was younger, or I wish I was uh, richer, or you know, it could go on and on, right? Those are the ways that we torture ourselves. This self that we carry around for our whole lives. Um, so can we really deeply know and believe just this, just this is it, just this. Yeah, just this right now. Not in a depressing way, in a sort of wondrous way like just this moment way, just this moment, in a breathe and notice the sunshine or the rain, the thunder and lightning, the ease in the body, which comes from just noticing that you're holding on tight, even if you have no reason to hold on to anything, so, or, or, or that your body was tense. So I've definitely grown to appreciate the spaciousness of retirement and feeling less guilty about taking time to read a novel, for instance, and also to read some of the books about the Dharma that have been on my shelves for many years. So, uh, so that's all good news. And I want to tell you a story about an old friend. She's not an old I don't mean old in terms of her age, although she is 105. 
And she, I went to school with her sons back in the 1950s and in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And we were in elementary school back when they had such a thing called elementary school and high school. And uh, her name is Julia Hawkins. She's taken on the name of Julia Hurricane Hawkins because she's been on several talk shows for running the 100-yard dash in her age range because she often wins. So for the past five years or so, she's been running. Before that, she bicycled. And so her name again, in case you forget, Julia Hurricane Hawkins. She's quite an interesting person. When we were kids, I remember several things about their home. One is that when most people went to church, they would read to each other, maybe books about philosophy, maybe poetry, I don't know. But they would read, and this was a family that really enjoyed reading. And um, there were always interesting things to do at their house. Joe, you would really enjoy this. Because when I was there, I remember a monkey jumping on my head. <laughs> and they had a, they built a pond in their front yard. They've lived in this house for over 65 years. And she's still there. But anyway, they had all kinds of animals and, um, and plants. Lots of plants. In fact, she said... Um, Every morning she goes out for a walk with a friend, although many of her friends have died. She uh, tends to her 70-something bonsai plants in the yard because she said they need her attention every day. And she has pitcher plants. You know what pitcher plants are? They're carnivorous plants. They eat insects. They don't eat people. <laughs> anyway, she said she's outside most of the day. She has their magic moments every day, all the time. She's published a book called It's Been Wondrous. She's an energetic runner. She really is. So cute. She says she enjoys the runner's high and being caught <laughs> At the end of the race, she loves the human contact of being caught at the end of the race. Though she's not a religious person, she still believes she's getting help from above. And she offers three very simple tips for living, which Galen really loves. First, don't give up. Second, keep moving. Third, Rest at night. First, don't give up. Second, keep moving. Third, rest at night. When her husband died, she was resting with him, and he was singing her love songs. Isn't that sweet? Anyway, so Julia Hurricane Hawkins, Google her and watch one of her videos she is awesome and real, 
a true person of no rank. 